Harbor 91.9. This is Inside Isla Vista. I'm Jennifer Yoshikoshi with KCSB News. This is the show that shares what's happening in and around Isla Vista and the UC Santa Barbara community. And for tonight's show, have you ever had trouble with your landlord subletting your place or had rooming conflict? Well, tonight you're about to hear about some tips on how to be a happy renter in Isla Vista. Ron Perry and Robin Unander from the Isla Vista Tenants Union will be joining us on tonight's episode to give the residents of Isla Vista some advice on renting. As you know, it's spring quarter for UCSB students right now and summer's coming up. That means many students will be leaving town for the summer, moving to new apartments and subleasing their spots. So Ron and Robin are here to help you out with anything involving your rent. And throughout the show, you'll hear about topics like how to get your security deposit back and what to check for when you move in and how to deal with pests in your apartment. Now let's get into my interview. Here's an introduction to Ron and Robin of the Isla Vista Tenants Union. I'm Ron Perry. I'm the Assistant Legal Services Advisor at the Isla Vista Tenants Union and the Legal Resource Center. Been there on and off. I've, I've come and gone, I think, six, seven years, something like that. I'm Robin Unander. I am Student Legal Services Advisor. I have been with the service since 2003, so I'm in my 19th year, and I help students just through the Legal Resource Center. And so to start off, I want to ask, what is the biggest issue that you see students are dealing with right now with renting in Isla Vista? It's been very interesting seeing how many inquiries we're having at the Isla Vista Tenants Union about mold. We've noticed since the beginning of this quarter, I would say at least a quarter of the students who have come to see me about landlord-tenant issues are talking about the presence of mold in their units. And then the kinds of things that we often deal with having to do with housemates having issues amongst each other and people wanting to make changes to their leases, get out of their lease or add somebody new or sublet or assign. So quite a bit. And then other sort of habitability issues, as we say, habitability referring to the the conditions in your unit are, does everything work and is it safe and healthy to live there? I've been seeing a few things that kind of deal with the, the Tenant Protections Act of 2019 that a lot of people have questions on with regards to rental increases for those that were offered the opportunity to renew their lease and how much the landlords can renew it by. And, and that's a big, it, it all depends kind of answer. And then tenants who wanted to renew but, you know, for various reasons, their landlords are opting to not renew their lease. And so there were questions about whether you know, they had that right to renew and could force that landlord to offer them a renewal. So those are some of the other things that we're seeing as it relates to some new laws. Yeah, Robin, that flows right into my next question, which is about how rent continuing to increase every year in Isla Vista. And does that have an effect on the population of the renters, and does it also affect the landlords here also? A couple of years ago, there was a law that the state legislature passed and the governor signed, which we generally refer to as AB 1482. And it has two parts to it. One part is a rent cap. It puts a limit on how much landlords can raise their rent, roughly 
8% in Santa Barbara County. Not all properties, but the majority of, of properties and particularly rental properties in IV. And so landlords aren't supposed to raise the rent uh, over a certain amount. That's one part of it. And then the other part, which we call the, the just cause component. And what that is, is a law that says that a tenant uh, can expect to continue to stay in the property that they're living in if they want to. They can renew their lease or if the landlord wants them to leave for some reason under this new law, the just cause law, landlord actually has to state a reason why he or she or they want to end the tenancy. They have to have just cause. That's why we we call it that. And so it's new. We're finding that some landlords are either unaware of these laws. So that's giving us plenty to chew on and to talk to both tenants and landlords about. And I think that the consumer price index for the next leasing cycle, which starts in April, is actually a 9% increase. 9%. And then there's a big uh, issue that we're having to do with emergent states of emergency declarations by the state or the local government that we are in a state of emergency, like for the Thomas fire, like the COVID-19 emergency declaration. And these declarations trigger something called the anti-price gouging statute, which limits how much landlords can raise the rent, even when there's a change of tenancy, when there's new tenants coming in. They can't raise the rent more than 10% while this declaration of emergency is in effect. And and we are seeing landlords going ahead and raising the rent more than 10%. And uh, it's just something in these last few weeks, actually, that we've been trying to address, find out more about, and then try to get the word out to the affected communities what the current state of the law is regarding price gouging and what that means for landlords and tenants. Does it mean For example, as some people are saying, that if a landlord has raised the rent more than 10% since March of 2020, when the COVID-19 declaration was made by the governor, will landlords have to return rent to their tenants? Of course, this is a, it's a huge question and it's, we're spending quite a bit of time right now trying to come with, come up with a definitive answer and then get, get the word out. Yeah, well, it's definitely crazy to hear about all of that. And I'm sure our audience would really find it helpful to know about these laws that you just mentioned. So touching back on issues that you just mentioned before, like mold, I know a lot of apartments in Isla Vista have issues with bugs, whether it's like roaches, ants or mites. Is there anything that students can do if help isn't provided by the landlord or even if help is provided and it still continues to be an issue? I think it depends on what exactly the the pest is that we're talking about because not every pest and not even every infestation would be deemed a habitability issue. So if there is an ant infestation, let's just say, ants are not necessarily deemed to be something that carry disease or you know that are poisonous or dangerous, they don't bite. And and usually they're temporal, meaning like it's hot out and so they, they come in looking for water or it's cold out and they come in looking for warmth. So, you know, that would be something that is not necessarily an obligation of a landlord to then do something to abate that problem. 
cockroaches are an interesting one because I'm not aware of any case law. And of course, there's no statute that defines necessarily, except for one that talks about vermin and vermin is usually rodents. But with regards to insects, cockroaches and an Isla Vista, who doesn't live with a cockroach, <laughs> but you know, an infestation is a different thing. And, and I think one of the arguments that could be made about an infestation of cockroaches creating a habitability issue, again, they don't bite, they don't carry disease, but there are studies that support that when they're shedding, and I'm going to probably not even say it correctly, but whenever they're shedding their exoskeleton, that the debris that gets left behind, and I'm not, I'm not talking about fecal, it's, it is something that they have found that in the low-income housing projects, which are often you know, densely populated and often do have these infestations, the, the kids develop asthma at a higher rate. And this is something that can be considered an allergen or something that aggravates you know, their breathing conditions. But that's you know, kind of an extreme example, but that's the only thing that's really kind of come up to connect any dots that an infestation of cockroaches, other than being disgusting, potentially is a health issue. And so we, we make the argument, you know, that if there's an infestation, they do leave fecal matter behind, you know, that's usually not necessarily on your plates, but it's, it's up high and it's in cupboards and, and things where you keep your plates and dishes. And I think most of the landlords do want to abate it as much as possible, but cockroaches are hard to kill. And the regular method, which would be tenting a whole entire unit or whole entire complex you know, it's expensive and, and not necessarily all the units need to be tented and treated, but that's truly the best way to address the problem. If they go into the individual units, cockroaches are resilient. And oftentimes because they're in the walls, they'll just go to the next unit until it's clear to come back. So cockroaches are tough. And, you know, we've kind of counseled tenants on if they're discovering the issue within those first couple of weeks or maybe even month after they move in, probably a pretty good chance that it was a pre-existing condition. So we often find that it's not unnecessarily the case where the tenants won't notify a landlord of a situation because they're afraid of getting a bill for it. So they just don't. And then the next tenants move in and unknowingly inherit a problem. When I started doing landlord-tenant law, I never thought that I would have to become an expert in bug poop, but there you go. We, uh, we have to know a little bit about that. Well, yeah, thank you so much for all of that information. I know I personally dealt with roaches and ants and mites in my apartment. And I know a lot of other houses in Isla Vista deal with just constant roaches and ants everywhere in their apartment. That was Ron Perry and Robin Unander. And you're listening to Inside Isla Vista. I'm Jennifer Yoshikoshi with KCSB News. Today we're speaking about rent in Isla Vista. And we have a lot of information that may be helpful for you as a renter. And we have two legal advisors from the Isla Vista Tenants Union with us. Continuing with my interview, I ask about summer subleasing. With summer coming up, subleasing is something that many students will do. What are your top pieces of advice for how students should go about that? First, always, what does the lease say about subletting? Not that it's going to be ultimately 
dispositive, as lawyers like to say, but you certainly want to know what your landlord's expectations are if you want to sublet. The law generally allows people to sublet, but you can certainly find a lease that has an absolute prohibition on subletting. More often than not, what we see in the leases, particularly in IV, is landlords making the tenant jump through a few hoops in order to have a subletter. Um, hoops like paying a, a an administrative fee, often that they will call it. And sometimes these fees are, are quite large, a few hundred dollars. I've seen $500 for uh, a landlord to consider allowing subletting. Quite often, the, the lease will say that if a subletter is going to be allowed, the tenants who are remaining in the unit will all have to sign a document that says they agree that this new person, the subletter, is going to um, be allowed to, to move in with them. And failure to follow the rules that are in the lease about subletting, the consequences of that can be quite severe, resulting in court action, right up to eviction. It can be a basis for a landlord to evict a tenant if that tenant went ahead and sublet or assigned, as it's sometimes called, their lease without going through the requirement. So it's quite a risky thing. We know that the tenants tend to do this on the down low, as they say, to, to just figure nobody will know. But if the landlord were to find out that you did it without their consent and following these other rules and paying these fees, consequences can be quite severe. My comment about don't do it had more to do with the issues that we see from the actual subleasing arrangement. And, you know, aside from the landlord finding out and being upset about that and threatening eviction, sometimes the amongst the sub lessor and the sub lessee, there become issues. And we've seen on both sides. We've seen them where the subtenant behaves very badly and to the point now where the person who's the sublease, you know, the, the original tenant is bearing the, the cost and the responsibility for the subtenant's bad behavior. We've seen it the other way where the subtenant was lovely and did everything they were supposed to and, you know, paid their deposit, paid all their rent on time, left the place immaculate, and then is expecting their deposit back. But the sub lessor spent it and doesn't have it to return because they sort of thought, well, this is free money. And they didn't realize that they have all the responsibilities that a landlord has because they are the landlord to that subtenant. So it's sort of an interesting triangle type of relationship. You know, the landlord and the original tenant are in contract with each other. And then the tenant and the subtenant are in contract with each other. But the subtenant and the landlord have no contractual relationships. And we find that a lot of those people in that position don't understand that part. We encourage students, community members who have questions about subletting. You know, you can even read the lease and you know how leases can be rather hard to understand sometimes full of legalese and imprecisely drafted. And so that's a service we're happy to provide. Sit down with you, look at your lease and determine what it says and talk about what your options are. We invite anybody who has those kind of questions, see us before you uh, make the decision to sublet, before you've promised the unit to somebody else. Yeah, well, thank you so much for that. I just saw how complicated the relationship between subleasing is with like the tenants and the landlords. And so moving on, 
I was going to ask you guys if you have a quick checklist for renters to check off before they leave their property. And also as renters start to move in over the summer, what should they check for? Yeah, our, our on the Isla Vista Tenants Union website, we have some, I think, very useful materials. And just as you're talking about a move out checklist, things for students to think about when they're moving out. We always think of security deposit as one of the main issues. You want to get back all of the security deposit that you're entitled to. And there are ways that you can maximize that possibility. Things like one of the biggest ones is making sure that you get a pre-move out inspection. The law in California requires landlords to tell tenants that they're entitled to a pre-move out inspection. So before you move out in the last month of your tenancy there, the landlord would come, go through your place with you and identify potential deductions from your security deposit. Not the amount that they might deduct, but just that there is something that might trigger a deduction. And the idea behind this law is to give tenants the opportunity to address those problems, avoid having a deduction made from their deposit before they move out. Many tenants don't know about this. There are some landlords who don't follow the law in advising their tenants of that opportunity. So we just encourage tenants, even if your landlord hasn't told you about that, make sure that you ask for it because it's it's one of the best ways of ensuring that you get back all that you're entitled to. One of the things that we've noticed is that not all landlords, again, as Ron had mentioned before, are aware of their obligation to offer a prima vault inspection or care to offer the prima vault inspection. And so in the situation where a landlord has failed on their duty to offer that and the students are not even aware that this is something that they should do, or maybe they even ask the landlord after they you know, talk with us, if they ask for it and landlords are, oh, well, I'm not going to do that. Just leave it clean. If there is a dispute about any deductions and the landlord has failed to offer the prima vault inspection and, and having it in the lease does not count, they have to provide a separate writing for that. And if they either you know don't offer it or if the student had requested it and the landlord fails to comply and provide it, our courts are giving the students back 100% of their deposit deductions. So if they got $500 deducted and they didn't agree with that and they take that landlord to court, our judges here in Santa Barbara will give them back all that 500 if there was no in writing offer to do a prima vault inspection. One of the services that, that we love to provide is talking to students about small claims court. That's the place where these things are usually resolved. No lawyers allowed in, in small claims court. And so we're very happy to sit down with tenants and show them the forms that it's necessary to fill out to get yourself into small claims court. Very easy to do, but a little help is often useful. How to get the legal paperwork served on your landlord, what to do when you get into court what to expect when you're in court, and then if you're successful, how to get your money. And so we invite students and and community members come in. If you're uh, not getting the money back that you're legally entitled to, and so other than advising for a small claims court, what do you guys do to help students at the Isla Vista Tenants Union? But, you know, we're we're primarily about legal issues, but we often are asked to 
talk about just things like the availability of housing. Where where is there housing? Community housing office on campus is the primary place where a student can find out about availability. They're looking for a place and and but uh, reviewing leases before you move in. You there's a place maybe you think you might be interested in and you're handed one of these 35-page rental agreements and you want help decoding that. Love to do that. As I mentioned earlier, intra-house problems, roommate versus roommate, house, housemate versus housemate kind of things. This is something the Legal Resource Center also deals with, but what if you're cited for noise violation or other infractions and misdemeanors like that related to where you're living? We yeah, the whole gamut of issues, legal issues that uh, tenants can, can come across and other non-legal things too. One of the things IVTU, our primary functions is just education, getting the word out about the law. And just to wrap this interview up, how can students find you, both Ron and Robin, and are there any other resources they can reach to for help? We kind of cover the gambit as far as the resources related to uh, legal matters, including the housing legal issues that come up. How they can find us, probably the easiest way is to go to the website because they can schedule appointments to meet with us there. And Legal Resource Center is legal.as.ucsb.edu. And they could schedule with Ron or me through there. And then IVTU is IVTU as.ucsb.edu and Ron uh, serves all the consultations for IBTU. On those websites, we, as issues come up, we will sometimes put frequently asked questions about various topics of interest to, to students and community members. So yeah, you can make appointments with us there and you, you may find some answers to questions that you have in things that we've posted there. I'd also add, you know, the Isla Vista Community Services District has a rental mediator that we often refer people to for disputes both between amongst tenants or between the landlord and their tenant. Mediation is can be a very good way of avoiding getting into the whole legal morass. So that's uh, islavistacsd.ca.gov is how one uh, connects themselves with the, the mediator. I, you know, I do want to add a plug for, I can't remember what we call it now, but it used to be UCSB Community Housing Office, but I think it's all under UCSB Food and, and Dining and Housing. But they do have a, a component that also works with community housing, meaning out, off campus. And, and they are also a great resource, you know, for students because they have connections with different landlords. They have their own listings that they do there. And, and I recalled that on their website, they have something that's called a success guide. And since it's available online, anybody from the public could find it. And they've got a really great uh, example of wear and tear versus damage. We get that question a lot. And there is no statute that we can point to that says, oh, well, this is damage and this is wear and tear. They all understand it. And for us, it's like, well, you know it when you see it, but sometimes it's really hard to define. So the, the success guide has a great list of what's wear and tear, what's considered damage, and then it kind of gives you a gist of understanding the difference between the two. 
And they also have a cleaning checklist in there that can help students with moving out. And they even have a sample sublease agreement. So then that would be another resource that is primarily available for UCSB students, but their success guide is available online to anybody from the public. Yeah, that sounds really helpful. And I'm sure a lot of students here that live in Isla Vista would find that like a great resource to use also. Thank you so much. Those are all the questions that I have for today. Is there anything else that you guys would like to add? Thanks for the opportunity to get this stuff out into the world. (laughs) Yes. That was Ron Perry and Robin Unander from the Isla Vista Tenants Union. If you missed the links mentioned before and you want to learn more about renting in IV and also getting in contact with them, you can go to ivtu.as.ucsb.edu. You've been listening to Inside Isla Vista. Thanks for tuning in Wednesdays at 5 p.m. to find out what's happening in and around Isla Vista. If you're looking for something to do this weekend, there's a couple of events being hosted here. On Saturday, UCSB's Environmental Affairs Board will be celebrating Earth Day. The event will be held from 1 to 5 p.m. at Enescoyo Park, where you can enjoy live music, a pop-up thrift shop, tie-dyeing, and a lot more. And on Sunday, Pardal Road will be closed off to be hosting this year's Pardal Carnival. From noon to 4 p.m., you can go and enjoy a Ferris wheel, carnival games, free food from local businesses, and more. So if you're looking for something to do this weekend, you have a lot to go to. And thanks again for listening. I'm Jennifer Yoshikoshi. Our theme music is Siesta by Jawser. This is 91.9 FM KCSB.